Hi, this is Don Portress, and you're listening to Frequency. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Frequency.fm podcast. And I'm here once again talking to my good buddy, Joe, who I've never met in real life. How are you, Joe? Har. I'm doing well, thank you, sir. <laughs> we were. Just, I know it's just just before we started <laughs> recording, we started talking about or talking in different voices and languages, and somehow pirate came up. It actually reminds me of when you go on Facebook and you can actually change the language to pirate. Did you ever? Did you know that? Yes, I did know that. Even though I'm not a, a Facebook user, I actually have gone on and. Um, changed when I was a Facebook user years ago. It's been almost four years since I quit Facebook. I did change it to pirate once. And um, yeah, it was fun for the better part of a day. And then it was so annoying that I had to stop it. Yeah, you, you should just like randomly change it on your wife. See if she notices. Oh, that would be an interesting idea. Yes, for folks who are listening, um, I do hijack my wife's account for the sake of following other um, people. Um, at any rate, so my wife, my wife follows people like, um, you know, Krista Wells and Leland and our guest today, Robbie C and, and all kinds of folks. And she's like, who, who are these people? And I said, well, they're the people that I interview. Don't you listen to the podcast? No. <laughs> it, it's, it's just as funny as my wife never wants to know what I'm preaching. She never listens. She doesn't want to know what the titles are. She doesn't want to know what, what my focus is, the passage, because she really doesn't want to be bored in church. So if she knows ahead of time, she'll tune out. You know what? That makes a certain amount of sense, even if on the outside it's like, wow, how unsupportive is she? It, it's Gracious. Yeah, it sounds unsupportive, <laughs> but I actually appreciate it because then I don't have to, like, I don't have to say it and, and share it and, and you know, talk myself out of doing it because I just, I kind of prepare it. I write a manuscript so I can always go back to it later and I'm good to go. And then I just leave it. You know, I, I mean, there's 10 to 20 hours of prep leading up to that. But once it's, once right. it's done, I don't want to look at it after Saturday night. I just leave it Sunday morning. I print it, bring it up with me, and then I go. And yeah, it's actually, I've never done a practice preach and I've never done any kind of practice preparation, anything like that. I just do it. And I'm a new preacher, which is really weird being almost 41 years old. And, and my first preaching, uh, was my candidating sermon at the church that I'm now a pastor at. So <laughs> when, when I tell people that guys who've been in ministry for, you know, years and years, they go, your first sermon was your candidating sermon? I'm like, uh, yeah, is that unusual? I'm like, wow, usually you do Bible college, you take like hermeneutics and you take preaching class and stuff. I'm like, yeah, I didn't do that. <laughs> and they, some, sometimes they're, they're like, man, I wish I was you. And other times you're like, you're an idiot. Like how in the world do you expect to preach? To a lesser extent, it's how I feel about leading worship. I know there are plenty of people that go to school and get a degree for leading worship. Mm. And I never have, uh, I just do it and I, you know, learn what I can and from other worship leaders and, and on all different levels. And I hope that it's good enough. 
and um, thankfully God kind of holds me up where I might fail otherwise. But uh, I also recognize there's probably huge gaps that I'm not aware of, and I'm kind of thankful that I'm not aware of them, because if I was, I would probably crumble into a, a pile and <laughs> just not bother to ever lead worship again. Well, you're a lead worshiper, so by default, you know, other than having to be comfortable in front of people and not being a bumbling idiot <laughs> or saying something foolish, um, you know, like, you can pretty much guide anyone into a worship leading. I hate to, you know, belittle the role, but let's be honest— Anyone can step up in a group and lead. Um, where you get into a different category is when you're able to lead on television or lead a large congregation or be able to shepherd people through something. You know, when you're doing more aspects than just singing songs. You know, the liturgy of service. There's a lot more mechanics involved, and that's where it takes a strong leader who's trained. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Um, can you define hermeneutics for me, please? And perhaps spell it. <laughs> I don't even know if I could. <laughs> okay. Uh, you're on the spot. Hermeneutics. It's the study of Herman Munster. Yeah. Well, it's it's not Herman. I think it's hermeneutics. Ticks. T-I-C-K-S, like the yeah, bug? Yeah, but I think it's... Yeah. I'm not even going to go there. I... <laughs> I see books on the shelf that have the word on it, but I never, I never actually used the word because I never took the course, Joe. Didn't you listen? <laughs> oh, that's right. If I was paying attention, if I was a really good supportive co-host, I would have recognized that your use of hermeneutics was generally just to demonstrate you can pronounce the yeah. word, not that you know what it's about. Yeah. yeah. I, I can talk about a lot of things, but to actually know it, it's just like my, my musical ability. Like some people say, I'm, I'm an improv electric guitar player. In other words, you know, in the jazz world, you know, I just go for eight to ten minutes. In the worship realm, you give me an electric guitar and there's songs going. I don't need music or sheets. I just play. I know structure, but I've been playing for 30 years. Yeah. There's a lot to say about somebody who's played for 30 years. You could teach somebody to play music, but then there's people who've, that's just the gifting. And I, you know, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, I could never understand how somebody could read a bass and a treble clef in piano. My brain can't comprehend two clefs. But if I close my eyes or I just start playing, I know chord structure and I can make, yeah. make a song happen that sounds like I'm reading music. So there's two types of players and they're both equally valuable. I don't think one's better than the other. No, for me, I didn't take music theory uh, I had friends who took music theory. I picked their brains. I tried to understand what it means. I, I do better when I understand the structure mm-hmm. behind things because I it, I can see, oh, that makes sense, and I understand why it makes sense. Uh, I don't have the innate uh, ability to just pick things up and run with them. Right. I have enough of, you know, enough of a, um, a methodical brain that I like to pick things apart and understand them and enough of an artistic brain that I can figure out how to be creative within the limited knowledge that I have. Um, but yeah. I'm not on the level that you are guitar-wise, but uh, God loves me anyway. So. <laughs> Enough about that. <laughs> yeah, we're 12, we're 12 minutes in, and we haven't uh, even, other than a, a, a name drop, haven't even discussed uh, the subject uh, of our uh, interview today. Yeah, so <laughs> you recently spoke with Robbie C., 
Is that how you pronounce his name? That is how you pronounce his name, although we did discuss the, the potential for Robbie O'Shea um, in the future. Oh, <laughs> there you yeah. go. And I thought it was Robbie Say before. And and I was saying how I had no idea personally, you know, dude from Canada here, no idea who he is from an artist perspective. I, I've probably heard his music, but I had no idea by name who he was. Do you want to give us like a quick hit on who Robbie C is? Sure. And uh, for the sake of, of who we are uh, on frequency, our first interview was with uh, Richie Fike. So if you're new to us, uh, you can head back to episodes one and two where we had a two-part interview with Richie Fike. And and during my conversation with Richie, he referenced Robbie C as uh, an individual that spoke into his life uh, regarding what it means to be successful as an artist and just uh, how Let's say uh, unfulfilling is probably an unfair word, but effectively, it's not all that you think it is. Uh, mm-hmm. You think you got to the top of the mountain, you're not there. So uh, when Richie and I had that conversation, one of the first things that I did was I opened up my email and I started to write an email to Robbie C to say, hey, listen, we just talked to Richie Fike. I'd love to chat with you. So going back two years ago, we, I knew that I wanted to talk with, uh, with Robbie about what it's like to be successful as a uh, an artist on a label, but also successful as an independent artist, because he was with um, Capital. They're, they're now Capital and uh, whatever they were called 15 years ago when he was uh, signed. And right. it was uh, pretty successful, uh, a number of albums and a couple of, of pretty prominent hits uh, in the CCM world, as well as being fairly well-known worship community. Anyway, this having been said... Right. We had the opportunity with the release of his EP, the third Psalms EP came out uh, early September, uh, and somehow that resulted in uh, a, a back and forth on Twitter with Robbie, and then he tells us the LP is coming out that's going to combine all three of those, and so we uh, had the opportunity to get online on Skype and chat with him for a little bit on a number of topics, including the, the forthcoming Psalms LP. This having been said... I'm not really sure when the LP is coming out yet, but it's good. it could be any time. So we have to record it now. So when it, it hits, we release it or we just release it and hope that it's somewhere along those lines. What do you think? <laughs> well, we maybe we can even be an encouragement for him to get it released. <laughs> yeah. Do it now, no, Robbie. That's good. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, obviously he, he may not be in total control of release dates, but I'm sure it'll be a Tuesday. You know? I think that's a good guess. What? What is it about Tuesdays? What is that? Movies on DVD no, like and new. Anyways, I'm sure everyone knows we're being sarcastic. There is a new release Tuesday, kind of a model business model in the music and and multimedia realm. Tuesdays seem to be the the knock at home day. So there's even a website called that newreleasetuesday.com. There's a free plug for you. There you go, guys. We love you. We love you, New Release yes. Tuesday. NRT for short. <laughs> <laughs> and actually a, fr- a friend of ours well a cyber friend because we don't know her personally sarah fine who we've who we've uh quoted uh previously and shared her blog posts is a contributor there and and represents them well i must add um in their events and uh, uh some of the she's heavily involved in some of the newsboys activity as they travel too so um sarah fine you should look her up she uh 
She's a good writer. Now, isn't Marcus Pittman also an NRT contributor? Yeah, I believe so. And we've quoted him well a few as, times. Yeah, yeah, a blogger himself. And in fact, I think I saw on Twitter he really wa- he wants us to just interview him instead of just quoting him all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think he was trying to get you know. Let's be a little more efficient about this. Instead of quoting me, you know, three times a month, we've only quoted him twice, by the way. You know, why don't you just interview me? Uh, yeah. Well, there's a thought. So, yeah. But hey, you know what? That's how relationships form. So you know what? Maybe you'll hear him here soon. One, so one never if knows. you're listening, Marcus, let us know. Well, for now, now that we've been on talking for 17 minutes, after I edit it, two, but uh, why don't we <laughs> go ahead and roll into uh, the interview with Robbie C., and uh, we'll talk to you some more on the other side. Sounds good. Here we go. Hey, this is Joe Brookhouse, and welcome to the Frequency Interview. Today, we are going to be chatting with singer-songwriter Robbie C. Now, um, unlike many other people I interview, I actually know how to pronounce Robbie's name. (laughs) So, uh, and I'm sure that he's grown very tired of jokes about the pronunciation of his name. I've heard them all. I've heard them all. Right. And, yeah. and, and soon to start a transition into the Robbie O'Shea band. Um, that's a reference <laughs> yeah. to a previous interview. So. Hey, I, I kid you not, this came up yesterday with my kids. <laughs> uh, and, and honestly, one of them said to me, do we have, because we're in Texas, they said, do we have Mexican heritage? And, and I don't know if it's because I, obviously, we live in, I live in Houston, and so I got ton, we got tons of Mexican friends. You know, we, we're, we eat Mexican food every other yeah. day. Yeah. I said, no, we don't have Mexican heritage, but we have Irish heritage. So long story short, my son says to me, it sounds so much cooler to say the Robbie O'Shea band. And so I don't know, Joe, I'm, I'm considering, I'm considering a change. I'm I just, we're going to, we're going to market test it and see how it goes. I think you're at a position in, in your career where you could do that successfully. <laughs> I don't think Prince ever got to the point where he really had the public behind him when he changed to symbol guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I may steer clear of the symbol, but uh, O'Shea does have a strong. I wouldn't mind having some, and some. That way, we could include some Irish influence in our music. You know, I think my wife would be all for that. You could do. You could be the next member of the Ren Collective. Experiment. I was going to say, she she blasts Ren Collective all over my house on Pandora, so she would be thrilled about that. So your yes. wife doesn't. She doesn't honor the fact that she should only play your music in the house. Well, I've I've tried to uh, I've tried to remind her that music needs to be purchased at some point. Okay, that's that's been my first argument. Forget just playing my music. Like, let's just go buy the Rent Collective record. Can we do that? Just off principle here. Um, unfortunately, she is like the rest of us who love to stream. Okay, we, stream music. You know. So what what am I going to do? I'm going to reserve that for the end of this conversation. Maybe we'll t- spend a little time talking about digital music uh, and just that. Oh, yeah. That that could be six, oh, seven yeah. hours. Um, well, but the real reason we're <laughs> yeah. here, at least uh, primarily, is uh, um, you are releasing the Psalms LP. So you have gathered up the three EPs that have been released up to this point, the last of which was released September 2014, and now you're releasing it as a full LP. So um, uh, let's talk yeah. a little bit about that. I guess the first thing, and I know you've covered this in previous interviews, but for those of you who, who haven't caught previous interviews or aren't aware, um, so many people have tackled the whole idea of a Psalms record, right? Why did you take it on and 
what did you feel that maybe you would bring to it that's different than other folks have brought to it? Yeah, well, I grew up listening to uh, specifically the Shane and Shane Psalms record. That was a huge record for me. Um, so if, if, if people listen and don't know that record, I think you can probably grab it online somewhere. But it's a fantastic collection of psalms. Um, it never occurred to me for a, a really over a decade that I would ever spend any time in the psalms. And so a quick story is this, that I had a conversation with a music professor. Uh, Joe, his name is actually Dr. Music, believe it or not. Um, that's no lie. <laughs> and so Dr. Music, which even still sounds funny to say out loud, um, had, we had a conversation about the Psalms, and he said, you know, you're a worship leader. So I, he said, I would assume you have some great insight, great knowledge, you got some history, you've rooted yourselves in the Psalms, and I, I had yeah. not. And that moment for me was just a light bulb. Really, more than just being embarrassed, I just thought, what does that mean? I mean, this is a this is a pretty wise man who's not only a music professor, but he's spent some time studying David. He's written some beautiful, amazing articles that I've had since read about the life of David. What does it mean for me to to know and to study the Psalms? Really, that's where it started. I didn't know that that would lead to albums, but the more that I dug into the Psalms, you know, I felt like I don't know that I'll bring anything that's new or fresh to it, but it seemed the more that I spent time in the Psalms, it seemed extremely natural for me. If I was going to call myself a worship leader, for me to spend some time singing the Psalms. I mean, obviously we don't have the melodies uh, that, that these folks would sing. And so, you know, the, uh, the, the Psalms of Ascent, you know, 120 to 134, those are such powerful Psalms as folks were marching towards Jerusalem for Passover. I can only imagine what the melodies were like. Marching songs, yeah. you know, uh, literally in groups of thousands, <coughs> excuse me, hundreds of thousands maybe, singing and chanting these songs. And I thought, man, why not spend a season in my life and just try to breathe some new life into these psalms? We didn't do all psalms of ascent, but just let's gather some psalms that have meant something to us. Let's sing them. If anybody listens to them or sings them, awesome. But hopefully it stirred up something in me and in our band that we want to dive further into the scriptures, into the hymnal uh, that, that, that God has given us, and that is the psalms. And so that's really kind of where it started. And, and then you chose to uh, release it as EPs, and, which is different, if to say nothing, uh, nothing else. And uh, yeah. maybe give me some perspective about why you chose to, uh, well, let me ask this first. Was there always the intention to come back around and do a, a full LP? Yeah, there was. So a few reasons. I mean, one, uh, it's, it made it easier to pay for it. I mean, oh, yeah, honestly, yeah. When, you, when you release an EP, you can... Uh, you know, make some of those funds back and they can go towards the next one, you know? So uh, honestly, it just, you know, when you're an independent artist, you look for creative ways to pay for these projects. Yeah. And so that was, that was one of them. You know, secondly, um, where the state of music is now, most folks don't think twice about the length or form in which you're releasing music. In other words, if I announce tomorrow that we've got a single coming out, which we actually are considering doing that in the fall. We have a song that we're excited about, and that's, well, we don't have a full record yet, let's just release a single. If I announce that tomorrow, people just kind of, that's great with them. Yeah. If I announce tomorrow that we're releasing an LP, which we are soon to be releasing an LP, that's great. If I announce tomorrow we're releasing EPs, the, the, the consumer, if you will, folks who are supporting the music, 
don't seem to be bothered by the form or the length of which you're releasing that music these days. And that's, you know, that's a, a, for a lot of different reasons. I mean, obviously streaming music and then also iTunes. I mean, the average purchase is less than two songs. So people just aren't, uh, the idea of buying a full record is not as, it's not the norm. And so that was part of it. Just go, hey, we have some freedom here. Let's figure out so a creative way to release it. Yeah. And then, yes, the idea, you know, one, one, uh, one side effect of doing it this way, and I didn't realize this, but after the first one, I thought our first volume was uh, interesting and creative. I did not think it was very singable. And it, it was clear to me that I didn't want to continue doing these, uh, this experiment with the songs if these weren't songs that my church was going to be singing. And so, I mean, I serve at a church, and I didn't want to record any anything else that I didn't feel like we would be interacting with on a uh, on a, uh, when we gather and worship. And so that was a side effect, just being able to look at a small group of songs and go, I want to do some things differently. And so volume two has a couple songs that we sing regularly. And volume three has several songs that we sing consistently. And so that, again, you know, why do we do it like that? I, that, that wasn't necessarily the reason, but that was a great, um, great side effect. And it's been helpful for me as a That's perfect. You actually anticipated uh, some other questions that I had later, just in terms of looking back at the project. What, what have you learned from that? Um, I think recently I, I've, I've been reviewing albums and I've come across a number of EPs that have been released by different artists and then a few full-length uh, worship albums and I, I've decided that worship should always be released as an EP. <laughs> because oh. as a worship leader, how do you evaluate 13 songs just playing one right after the other? Whereas if somebody gives me like the, uh, the volume three, I probably listen to that 15 times, just mm -hmm. one yeah. time right after the other. Uh, and to soak that in, in a way, and I think, um, I just think that's the format. I'm just, as, as an aside, yeah. it seems, regardless of where the industry is going, that uh, as a worship leader, I don't know, I feel better served by the smaller chunks. I think you even said in an interview, it's more digestible for many people. It is, and it helps me as a songwriter avoid some of the clutter that I may, I may have a tendency to fall into with a full-length record. In other words, track eight track nine on a full-length record sometimes for me has felt cluttered and incomplete okay and approach approaching it like this uh requires the songwriter uh, you, you can't hide a song in an ep uh, that that's really what i'm getting at those four or five songs have got to be strong uh because Pete, they will be heard uh, you know, I, I can even think of several records recently that I've gotten where there, there are songs on the record. I go, I don't, I don't think I've heard that song. Like I somehow it's cluttered towards the, the middle, the end of the record. EP really challenges the songwriter to go better have your act together um, because they're, they're going to be hurt. They're, they're, there's no there's no hiding place. And that's what I learned from volume one. That Not to say that we had some songs that I wouldn't have put on there, but I wanted to have greater intention because you only get four or five. Uh, shots at it on an EP. So as a songwriter, that's been a powerful challenge for me. So I, I'm with you. It's a fun, it really is a fun format. I'll tell you this too, Joe. I mean, I spent a lot of time talking to younger songwriters, younger uh, artists, younger worship leaders, and quite honestly, just the, just economics alone, I think will dictate more EPs in the future. It's just extremely hard for folks to find the funding to, 
to, to come up uh, with, with the dollars for, for 10 to 12 songs. I mean, when people don't pay for music now, and again, I love streaming. My wife, my wife and I stream music in this house all day long. We, uh, it's, an, it's, an, it's, amazing, it's an amazing format. But when people aren't paying for music as much, it, it does require the songwriter, it does require the artist to step back and go, how am I going to pay for this? So I get a lot of people coming to me going, man, I'd love to do a record. I produce a lot, by the way. And say, I'd love to do a record. I just don't know that I can afford 10 songs. And so I say, well, let's yeah. scratch that. Let's do four. And let's do four. Uh, let's, 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 do an, let's, let's kill it. Let's kill it on four songs. And let's go from there. Let's build upon that. So uh, there's a lot of reasons that I think, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of, uh, as you're casting vision for more EPs, I, I think you're you're onto something. I think there's a lot of reasons why that's going to be true. Let me ask you because um, I'm not familiar specifically with your work as a as a producer, but um, Dan, who's my co-host, and I were chatting the other day about uh, I, I there were probably three albums that came out in the past two weeks where if I played them one right after the other, I would not be able to differentiate between the three um, where. Uh, mm -hmm. The sound is very, very similar, you know, and I think that's very CCM today. But um, when you are entering uh, as your role as a producer, give me some perspective on what you're doing with the artist to to help their unique voice be heard. Well, one of the, I mean, as I look back on my own career and my own recordings, um, we've done some things right, and we've we've done some things completely we, we've derailed the train a few times and I remember the the, my, the most rewarding times for me are when the response to our music was usually centered in it's unique it sounds like you it sounds believable yeah. I believe what you are singing that hasn't always been the case for me so I would never sit here and act like I've got that nailed or figured out but the times where that's been a response to our music it's been the most rewarding for me and that's what I long for younger artists. Who are you? What do you have to say? And it had better be, uh, you better be telling the truth uh, because there's just too much noise out there for you to cut through. There's just too much, there really is a, there's a log jam of music. Yeah. And so you better not waste another minute being something other than you and your voice and your style and your approach what is it? Let's find it. Um, the, the great thing about independent music right now is you've got some liberty to do that. Now, while you may not make, I always tell young artists, you're not going to make as much money as you could have 10 years ago, but the freedom is, is, has never, it's never been a, a, a larger landscape for you to create. And you've never had this kind of access to people who will love and support your music. Uh, in other words, through social media, just through the immediate uh, I mean, you you can record a record and it can be up on iTunes now in a you know a matter of three or four yeah. days, you know. Uh, um, and so, for an independent artist, you're not going to get rich, but you are going to have fun doing it, and you should because there's never been a better time to to reach out to people and go, "This is who I am. This is what I'm trying to say. This is how I'm expressing my art." And uh, you get and, and, and you have folks sitting in the front row. I mean, with social media and the way things are today, you have an immediate audience. That's exciting. And I love that. I love being able to pour that into folks that we're producing as well.
released your first record in 97, is that correct? I know. Yeah. Well, we, you say we, that and you go, holy cow, 17 years. What happened? I know. I told you we have a 16-year-old in our house now. He was born in 98. So that that's when it starts to become, yeah, okay, I've actually done this for yeah. a while. I recorded that in 90. I recorded it in 97, and I believe it came out in the beginning of 98. And uh, Nathan Knuckles uh, and David Crowder helped me produce that. We went to Oklahoma City. And uh, we did six songs. We did an EP, you know. And uh, I met Charlie Hall for the first time. And uh, those days for me, um, those are three men right there that I still uh, have huge, huge respect for. And, uh, you know, those three guys specifically, I'll just, I'll just say this briefly. Those three guys specifically, and a guy named Kendall Combs, who played guitar for Charlie Hall for years. He's an amazing guitarist. Really, those four guys, that first year of my quote-unquote career, although at that point I didn't know what the heck I was doing, <laughs> those four guys showed me how hard you have to work in order to do this for a living and to do it well. I will never forget the lessons I learned with those guys, Charlie, David, um, with Nathan, and then uh, with Kendall. And uh, I remember, I'll just tell you this, man, I remember we went into the studio in Oklahoma City, recorded that first EP, and Kendall Combs played guitar. And at that point, he had already played on the first, um, I believe, the Passion. I don't know if it was a Passion recording, or at least at the Passion event with Charlie and some of the other guys. And I knew, I knew of him. I was had a lot of respect for him. Well, he played on my record. He immediately set his guitar down and started to sweep and empty the trash can. <laughs> and I remember asking him. I said, "Do you? Is this your place? Is this your place? You own the studio?" He said, "No, I." I mean, I work here, I, I do the janitor uh, job so that I don't have to go get a full-time job. I want to be doing music full-time, and this is just part of what it means to do music right now. I mean, uh, he's paying me a little bit to, to clean, and and I do it. And I never, ever forgot that, that you are ne you're never in a place where you're, you're too good to take the trash out, you know? And uh, I've never forgotten it. And so anyway, yeah, I think back on those years, and those were really huge learning lessons for me early on. That's a, it's really a great story and a, and a great bit of um, insight into reality. Uh, I think, I think a lot of us who are, have been involved in music or art in many forms. I, I was a theater major. You see where you would like to be and it's never the, I'm the guy working in the dinner theater um, doing a bad you know, off-Broadway thing. Well, even not, not off-Broadway. Nothing, nowhere close to Broadway. Someplace in Wyoming, for example, right? <laughs> you don't imagine yourself at that point. Um, but yeah. one of the things my wife taught me very early, because she's a, a the she was a musical theater person, singer, dancer, is if you are making any money whatsoever, you are successful. Uh, in the meantime, make enough money to pay your rent and eat, and that is any way you can accomplish it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you, and if, if that's something, and again, when I'm working with younger artists, that is probably number one on the list, just to remind them that, look, um, you go and share your, your gifting anywhere that God opens the doors. Never be too good to walk into a building, whether it be for five people or for a thousand, and share. Um, because if you've got an opportunity, take it. 
and work your butt off. I mean, that's that's really what I learned early on in those days. Is uh, there's going to be you got a little bit of talent, there'll be a little bit of opportunity, but you better get out there and and work. I mean, it's, you're going to call it a job. You better treat it as such. And I think God, you know, I think He honors that. It doesn't mean you're going to be wildly successful, but I think He does honor that. He honors any of our, anytime we labor, anytime we we uh, we work, whether we're a plumber, or whether we're a musician, or whether we're a doctor or a teacher, He honors it, you know. And uh, I think that's that's part of being faithful. And so, yeah, I'm grateful for those early, those early days with those guys for sure. In your word, I hope and From the depths I cry to you, oh God, hear my cry, in you alone I wait, oh in you alone I wait, I wait. The first interview that we ever did on Frequency was uh, with Richie Fike, and one of the things he did is he referenced you as an individual that spoke into his life regarding the reality of, of making it in Christian music. I think at, at that point he had just been signed to, but you know, signed to a, a signed to a major label. He was very excited about that, and uh, and I think that you spoke a word of caution to him. And I don't expect you to remember that conversation, but. You, uh, your arc is, is an independent, being signed by Sparrow and independent again. And what does it really mean to you and what do you want to speak to people about being on a label versus being independent? Well, it's a broad conversation. Yeah. I mean, you know, 10 years ago uh, when I was signing a deal with EMI Sparrow, uh, the quote-unquote music business was, it's, it was a, a wildly different yeah. environment. And uh, let me let me say first and foremost, I worked with some of the best people in the music business, folks who who, were, who had a deep love for God, a deep love for music. And um, so I'm talking about folks like Peter York and Brad O'Donnell and Bill Hearn, and these are men that um, that I have huge respect for. Uh, folks like Denise George uh, and others at EMI. These are these are still friends of mine. And so I want to be clear on yeah. that, you know. And and ten years ago, this was a different conversation, Absolutely. Uh, and it meant some different things. I mean, ten years ago, distribution distribution of music meant something wildly different than it does yeah. today. In fact, I did not have avenues of distribution ten years ago that I could lean on outside of a major label. Um, fast forward to today, distribution looks entirely different. Very few people walk into a physical location and buy my music. There's not a massive need for me to have a giant distribution deal with right. someone. Uh, that's just not how, for, and for the most part, it's not how my music is uh, is consumed and connected with. Most of that is yeah. online. And so, uh, and I, I have those, as an independent artist, I have those avenues. Now, that's not to say that EMI Sparrow couldn't bring me, of course, they're not EMI Sparrow anymore, they're Capitol right. Records, but it's not to say they couldn't bring me some value. It's just, a, it's just a totally different discussion. And so, 10 years ago, if you were an artist, Joe, and I was sitting down with you and I'm saying, you know, let's weigh this out, there's going to be some, there's going to be some strong, uh, you know, pluses and, and negatives to this conversation. 
today, there's going to have to be some pretty clear reasoning why your only route is a major label. Uh, because if you know, and, and again, I'm not even sure what that would be. Uh, uh, at least in our world, I'm not sure what reasoning we would have to go. Got to do it. Got to sign that deal. Today, there's just there's just so much that goes into that conversation that wasn't part of my conversation ten years ago. So I hope that makes sense. It does sense. make sense. Yeah. Uh, and it's just it's an entirely different season. And as you know, I mean, as, and, and as most people listening know, I mean, the music, the way music's. Uh, the way music's purchased, the way music that, that people connect with music is unlike any other time in history. And it's just, even 10 years ago, why couldn't, I could never have imagined what it would look like today. And so, uh, yeah, you know, I don't remember exactly what Richie and I uh, discussed. I mean, obviously, there are going to be some, uh, some good and some bad of these kind of uh, interactions when it comes to the business side of music. Uh, what I'm excited about today, uh, 2014, and I'm looking towards 2015, there really has never been a better time to be an independent artist. As I said earlier, I may not make as much money, but I've never had this kind of influence directly speaking into people's lives that appreciate our music. So it may be a smaller group of people now that are going to actually purchase the music and cheer us on, but they have a front row seat to what we're doing and I can, I can connect with them directly. Uh, that's exciting. And so when I'm talking to, to, to young artists, I'm going, you, look, uh, if you, if, and I, to, to borrow a phrase from, from Derek Webb, if you're fine with living in the middle class of music, this is going to be an awesome season for you, uh, an awesome season. You're not going to get rich, but you're going to have great influence, and it's going to be immediate for folks who, who appreciate what you do. That's great. I spoke with Ross King a couple of months ago, and we were talking about something very similar where the, uh, the arc in terms of um, what defines success has really changed where there was the top 1% were the successful people. And to get there, it was a huge barrier. I mean, it was such a steep mountain to climb to get up to a point where you were considered successful. But today, like you mentioned, the middle class, Derek Webb quote, is that there's been a great leveling there. So there are much fewer people operating on that 1% 1% spectrum. I mean, it's 0.1%. You don't get folks, let's say like Coldplay to go out secular, right? Coldplay is, a, is yeah. going to be a bit of an anomaly because people aren't engaging uh, in that same way with artists. It's yeah. it's now this beautiful landscape there where it's relatively flat. However, getting noticed in that crowd is where the challenge uh, is introduced. Uh, and you have, yeah. you've alluded to um, connecting with people social media and uh, has that changed for you from let's say four years ago the way you engage with people whether it's social media or in person uh, engaging with people who appreciate your music yeah it has I mean well in the obvious ways I mean just one of the great one of the great gifts to any of us really but especially to folks like me who consider themselves songwriters or artists is just the immediate interaction and conversation that you have related to the music that you create. That's not, that was something that in my early days at EMI, we, I sat in meetings and with some really bright people to come up with some kind of strategy and scheme that would engage people in the music, that we'd actually be able to engage in a conversation. Never could have dreamed that that engagement would be as simple as it is in 2014. In other words, you know, before, 
before the world as we know it, as far as social media goes, it was so hard to interact with fans uh, from a distance, you know? And so somebody lives in, in uh, you know, I don't know, South Bend, Indiana, they can't have immediate interaction with me 10 years yeah. ago. And we can't dialogue about the Psalms and we can't talk about the life of David and we can't talk about the Psalms of Ascent or what, you know, how it relates to this recording. It just wasn't possible, you know? And so that part's been a lot of fun. It really has been. Uh, you know, on a side note, the day that, that Psalms Volume 3 came out, I got an email from a, a former manager of mine who is still a great friend of mine. And he was congratulating me on the release saying, hey, congratulations on the release of your EP. Uh, sorry that it happened to be on the same day that the biggest band in the world gave their record away. Oh. <laughs> you know, And I realized, yeah, we released our little, our tiny little EP on the same day that, that U2 was giving away their record. So if there was ever a day that, that, that with a megaphone, <laughs> uh, the music business was saying to me, it's a, it's a new day. Uh, it was definitely that day. It was uh, that was it, ironic. It's to too bad you least. couldn't have got it packaged up with you two and just kind of have it pulled in at the same time. Split it right in. Yeah, even if you didn't <laughs> yeah. sell it, like now, yeah. you know, sixty million people bought the the most recent uh, Psalms EP. Yeah, if I if I had some computer hacker friends, that would have been the ultimate. Uh, that would have been the ultimate con, just to piggyback right there on YouTube into people's iTunes. Although I think maybe that's backfired a little bit. You know, I don't think I don't think uh, they anticipated so many people being unhappy about a record dropping into their iTunes. I thought that was interesting. Oh, boy, that's a com completely independent conversation about yeah. how people devalue music. Um, yeah, no, I'd love to talk to you about that at some point, but... Um, the truth which i'll link to you referred to the tension that exists uh, for the christian artists and this is the quote that i grabbed uh, let there be tension in your life as you balance between what it means to be an artist and what it means to be a leader and responsible to a church and uh, so you believe that uh, attention should exist uh, for you as an artist well i call it a healthy tension um you know and those things ought to be tugging on each other i mean literally a tug of war that happens in my life between the gifting that God's given me to create and to respond to my creator, and also the responsibility of serving a local church. Now, I get that not everybody listening who calls themselves an artist is on a staff or is in some formal role in a church, but a lot of folks are, and at least, hopefully, they're, they're involved and engaged in a local church. And those two things, they, they constantly pull on each other. I ought to be, and I am, Reevaluating who I am as an artist, reevaluating who I am as a songwriter. I definitely do not have this songwriting thing <laughs> figured out. I mean, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, that's it's a rabbit I'll be chasing for 
until my until my deathbed. But and but also, how does that how does that serve my local church? You know, how do I how do I view my role as a leader in that church, inviting people in to respond to God? It, at that point, it can the end result cannot be my art expression. Right. Uh, so that expression becomes a part of the journey, but uh, we can't we can't end up at the feet of my of my of my my creation, you know. And so my creation has to be a part of that journey as I'm literally inviting people. Hey, let's move closer to God. Let's move closer to God. Maybe God in some crazy. Hey, this is Robbie C, and you are listening to Frequency. Uh, to get us there? Maybe not. I don't know. I mean, I, that's just even weird to say out loud, but somehow he'll use our musical expression to, to as we kind of inch closer to him. Maybe that'll be a part of the journey. Let's just see, you know. But that is the tug of war in my life. Of course, you know, I often describe it, Joe, as an intersection, really. I don't know if, you, if in Portland you guys have these crazy, like, Roundabouts. traffic circles. Yeah, we used to have one in Waco. I went to Baylor in Waco. We had this, uh, the the traffic circle, and there was always just chaos. I love watching people interact on that thing, you know. And I often just think about my life as, you know, I literally have art and my artistic expression. Hopefully, I've, I consider myself an artist. If if somebody's listening and you play guitar, you play piano, you play, I don't know, French horn or something, you are an artist. I mean, that is, God's, God's giving you this beautiful ability to respond to Him. It's amazing, right? I mean, that, that's one of these entrances to the traffic circle. I mean, the other really is this responsibility to the church. I mean, I, I'm called to serve and to love people and to be a part of the, the body and then to invite them, as I've said already, to invite them to move closer to God. That's what, that's what my job is. And that's coming in on this traffic circle. I mean, the, really the third entrance is the fact that this is how I make my living. You know? Yes. This is how, I got five kids in my house. They cost me a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they eat a lot, Joe. And, oh, the, wait, you, the, it's coming, man. It's gonna get so much worse. They eat a lot, and so, uh, <laughs> You know, that kind of third entrance on this little uh, imaginary traffic circle that sometimes seems chaotic, sometimes works as it should, is the fact that there's economics involved. Yeah. I mean, that there's commerce involved. And uh, again, you know, I don't know if you can have a three-way tug-of-war, but that's kind of what happens in my life, is to make sure I'm responsible to my family. This is how I make my living. I take that seriously. Uh, but man, I tell you, I'm humbled by the calling to serve my church. And I don't always get that right. If my pastor was to hear this interview, he'd probably be, you know, amening that right there. Um, uh, but then also the fact that, man, I want to create something. I want to be a songwriter that at the end of my day, when I didn't just sit around thinking about how to sell records, I want to create and to respond to the creator God. And I want in some way, whether it be overt or whether it be just in melody, that when somebody listens to my music, they go, man, I just sense there's something going on there that is bigger than him. You know, that doesn't mean our music's life-changing or it's, you know, we're not, we're not doing anything that hadn't been done. But I hope that most of all, when you pick up our music, you go, man, I, I kind of, I believe that dude. Uh, I believe what he's singing about. I feel like there's something happening there in his expression. That's, and so that's, that's the little, uh, you know, I guess. That's the tension. I didn't anticipate uh, traffic circle being our, our image of the day, but that is the that is the uh, that is the tension, and I, to me, that's a beautiful thing. I mean, the, the, it's almost a a gift to be able to say that those things live in tension in my life, and how am I responsible to each of them? 
And uh, sometimes I get it right, sometimes I screw it up. <laughs> yeah, but it's fun to be able to say that that's, those are elements in my life that I have to figure out how to balance. That's a great, it's a great analogy and it's a great perspective to have. I think that's, it's useful for uh, the other brothers to hear that. With all my ways, oh Lord, you have searched me. Joe, let me say quickly, too, that yeah. when I'm thinking about these things, it's no accident that I talk a lot about the Psalms. When I look at the Psalms, when I look at the life of David, I imagine that he had these similar wrestlings. Now, he may not have, uh, you know, I don't know what his compensation was. I mean, the, the guy was, was clearly skilled as a musician. It was something that I, you have to believe that he honed his skill. He spent yeah. hours. He was called by the, the most powerful men in the world to come and play this is one of the best in, in the world that's bring him to us to play for us. Um, and so I would imagine that, you know, maybe in different ways, obviously, but he had these kind of wrestlings. Uh, he, he was an artist. He expressed himself, and yet that didn't define him. He couldn't just say, my artful expression is the end. Uh, that's not, I wasn't, I, I, I'm not fully defined as David, uh, you know, eventually the king, but at that point, the, the shepherd, the warrior, the poet, the songwriter, the skilled musician, that can't be my, it, that can't be what ultimately defines me. And that's beautiful to me. That's a challenge for me. Um, it's a part of my life, but it can't ultimately define my life. Fantastic. I think you've done, one thing you've done very successfully is we're, as we're wrapping up today with your Psalms volumes and with this full LP is something you just spoke to, which is from my perspective, the way you guys are delivering this music, it's believable. And that's what connected me with them uh, and why I was very excited to get to chat with you about this. It's definitely fantastic music and it's been nurtured. And I really appreciate that. And I, I want to encourage people, not just because you're talking to me right now, but, but um, pick up this LP. And if you're not comfortable with buying the full thing, the EPs will still be out there. Okay. You know, go ahead and, and sample some of that. It's it's good music, and uh, we, man, we really appreciate your time today, uh, spending as much time as you and I have spoken today. And I have no idea where you're going next, but you're probably running out of time to do that. I appreciate it, Joe. <laughs> Let me say quickly too that, and I appreciate your words on the Psalms. I mean, one one of the, one of the hopes that I had for this record. I mean, obviously. As we've already discussed, I mean, we have an art form that is music, that is as a songwriter. So I, I hope they sound great. I hope people, you know, turn them up in their car and it's meaningful to them and it's moving, that the melodies are strong. Most of all, though, I wanted to take a snapshot of the psalm. So some of these psalms are a few verses word for word. Yeah. Some of these psalms are a little more loose, although I try to get close. I wanted them to be singable, and so you had to kind of get creative and, and to work that a little bit. Most of all, though, I wanted to take a snapshot of the psalm, and I wanted it to stir my heart and yours to move back into the psalms, uh, to want to jump deeper into the scriptures. And I hope that that's what, that's what happens. And I know that may be a lofty goal, but that's really, as I was thinking about, man, what, what's the response when people are hearing and singing these psalms? Really is to 
when they're reading the scriptures that they go, hey, I know, I know Psalm 134, I've, I've, I've sung that. I know, yeah. I know 139, God knows me, right? I know Psalm 3, that God's, God's a shield, uh, just like a shield for David, he's a shield for me. Um, that's, that's my hope, and so I, I appreciate your words on that, and, and really grateful that people are listening. I'm going to let you go. Really grateful, Joe. Thank you for your time, man. Yeah, man. Get, get to your stuff. I really appreciate your time, man. Blessings, Joe. Talk soon. Blessings to you. Okay. Take care. All right, Joe, thanks for the interview. That was great wisdom. Uh, I know we've actually taken some snippets from uh, the interview and already shared it, but uh, it's nice to hear it in its entirety. Um, but before we run out of time, because we talked a lot at the beginning, yes, you're going you're gonna to be somewhere very shortly. Where are you going to be, and how can people find out? Uh, in two weeks, that's two weeks from two days ago. Oh, forget it. Um, here... <laughs> A week from this coming Thursday, which is November 12th, I believe, I will be at CMS Northwest, Christian Musician Summit Northwest, and uh, we'll have a booth there that we're actually sharing with the Worship Ministry Catalyst podcast team. So we actually went together, not because we're cheap, but because we just (laughs) saw an opportunity as uh, podcasts and friends to have a presence there. So I will be there along with Kevin from the uh, Worship Ministry Catalyst team. And uh, so it's going to be fun. And uh, we were there last year and uh, met a lot of people. We uh, recorded a couple of episodes there. And uh, Mm -hmm. my hope is that while we're up there, we'll get a chance to record, uh, heck, two, three. I don't know. I'm not going to put a limit on it. I want to record some interviews while I'm there and, uh, and engage with people. So if you're listening, we will have a booth. Yeah, and the last time you were there... I think I was on Skype with you outside, and you were being serenaded the whole time by some dude on a guitar. Oh, gracious, the busker. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, one of my favorite people, the busker. It was great. And uh, and Dave Cleveland, actually, who I'm hoping to get a chance to talk to, came by and said hello. Did we keep that in the podcast, or did I cut that out? No, I, I seem to recall it. I don't know. You think we know better. We don't. Sorry, guys. We don't know. But um, if I was going to put a wish list of people together, not to limit ourselves, but Paul Balash is going to be there. It'd be great if I had a chance to chat with him. Dave Cleland, who is the uh, longtime guitar player for Stephen Curtis Chapman and amongst many other folks, who's also um, an arranger and uh, one, probably one of the most talented guitar players in music today will be there. Scott Crepane, very talented songwriter, uh, will be there. Mm-hmm. And um, Doug Gould, if, if you don't know Doug Gould, he's um, a pretty renowned audio engineer and uh, often associated with Personas. Well, he does a lot for Personas, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. I've watched most of his demo videos and I've been trying to figure out the Personas board. <laughs> <laughs> the same here. Yeah, no, he does. He's great. and But it's not just, you know, pitching the persona stuff the guy's got a great philosophy when it comes to you as if you're a sound engineer if you're an audio guy what that represents to your ministry you're not just the dude on the board you're a guy who is uh, really has an enormous responsibility for Mm -hmm. your church service coming off the right way and so anyway these are some people that i just throw out there that i I'm hoping to have a chance to chat with, not to, not to mention um, Paul Herman from CCLI, who's a friend of ours, and uh, Don Portress is going to be there, and we've interviewed him. More of you need to go back and listen to that mm-hmm. interview, because Don is fantastic. Um, anyway, yes. these haven't been said. 
many people. No, that's that's great. And unfortunately, because it is 4,000 kilometers away from my location, um, and I don't have enough to to fly myself there for <laughs> the conference, right. I'm unfortunately going to have to do it remotely. But uh, I am glad that you get to go there, and I am glad we will have a presence. So if you are going, uh, make sure to say hi to Joe and Kevin from Worship Ministry Catalyst Podcast, who is the longest-running worship podcast on the planet. On the planet. So, you know, kudos to them. They're doing a good job over there. Um, unfortunately, I can't be there, but uh, no, it's a great opportunity, and um, they've been. This has been an ongoing ministry for years, and they get a lot of good people coming. It's definitely worth people's time. Well, two things I want to say is, if you were there on site, that means I would actually meet you in person, and that would just kind of destroy that whole, you know, mythology of Dan and Joe have never actually met. Yeah, whatever. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days it will. But anyways, I digress. But uh, why don't we tell people how to get in touch with us, Joe, as if they don't already know, because they're already listening to us. But there are different avenues. So uh, one of the first things you could do is you could go online to the Christian Musician Summit and register, and then you could just meet me there, and then I can give you a business card, and maybe we'll I'll give you a book or something, because I'll be bringing giveaways. Or Dan's going to list off the three or four other ways you could connect with us on social media. Yeah, so we are on Facebook, and you just do facebook.com slash frequency FM. Our twiddle, twiddle, <laughs> our twit, <laughs> our Twitter handle is at frequency FM. We are on Google Plus. Um, yeah, if you're nerdy enough to be on there, you can find us. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, you can always send us an email. Uh, we are getting a lot of emails from people wanting us to review books and things like that. And that's great. We love hearing from you. Please, please, please have patience with us because we're both um, gainfully employed in other ways. So we can't constantly instantly respond to people, but we do read everything and we appreciate the emails. You can email us at info at frequency.fm. Very good. Guys, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll uh, look forward to chatting with you again soon or chatting at you. I don't know. How does that work? I think we chat at them. <laughs> anyway, my wife just go. pinged me and said, it's uh, it's my, my hour of recording time is up. There you go. But, so sorry, guys. Well, Thanks, Joe, and uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.